no matter what kind of therapy you go through, no matter what approach of therapy you're in, until you take personal responsibility for your life, you will not move on. In LA, you really gotta dodge astrology girls. Probably like the fifth question any woman asks in Los Angeles. Oh, when were you born? And you're like, oh my goodness. No one should have to accept the toxic version of anyone. No relationship can survive the constant toxicity of a person who thinks being toxic is just who they are. How do you gain tools to be the right person in a relationship while not just blaming everything on childhood trauma? You are listening to Mind Shift with Air McManus and Erwin McManus. I'm here with my dad, Erwin. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Well, 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 well. <laughs> Why don't you tell them? Okay, come on. You got to tell well. them the truth. Well. Our listeners are used to us being transparent, authentic, real. Well, <laughs> are our listeners used to my basement being flooded? It was actually crazy. I get home. Well, we've just gotten back in town. Mm-hmm. And it's just funny. Like, I'm really grateful to live in a house in a city. Because that's a rare thing sometimes, mm-hmm. you know. And more house, more problem. <laughs> People say more money, more problems, all these things. But more house, more problems. Because my basement was flooded. We ran, It rained for one night. And I yeah, woke, but it rained. It, it was rained, rain, like torrential, like yeah. jungle rain. Yeah. Like <laughs> Erwin growing up in El Salvador rain. Oh, I remember those days. Those days. Beautiful. Yes. So <laughs> pouring, pouring. And I wake up maybe four in the morning to this like screeching alarm noise. Which is like, and I like, just an ignorant man, just grabbed a pillow, put it over my ear and went back to sleep. Woke up around 5.30 and was like, okay, that noise is still there. I got to go figure what this is. You know, so I'm, it's like a, a horror movie. I'm The rain's everywhere. It's dark in the house and I'm walking through, you know, my house has a lot of like, like curves. It's a very, it's kind of well, like. Why a, is it dark? Because of the cloudiness and the sun wasn't up. Oh. It's 5.30. You don't, you don't ever get up early. No, no, but you, you still had electricity. <laughs> no, I didn't have electricity. You didn't say that. Well, I'm getting Thank there, you. Dad. No. It's like a I reveal. I'm revealing the <laughs> but things. But you said it was dark, and that's it what was I, dark. I, it was dark. It was, yeah. So it was cold. <laughs> it was dark. I'm sitting there, you know. I'm walking, and I'm realizing the, the like alarm is coming from my little, like, it's like a little closet behind my refrigerator, and it has this, like, nook for, like, shelves for, like, appliances. But at the bottom, it has, like, a trap door, and it's this basement. And it's kind of creepy to be honest but it's like where my furnace is ac all that stuff so i open it and it has maybe six steps down it is up to like step number four there's four and a half feet worth of 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 water and it's it's as it's as big as it's like maybe half this platform that we're on and completely wet there's two pumps down there and i'm like you know why aren't they working? And I realized the power's out. But this little alarm is my flooding alarm. If anything were to flood in the basement, it tells me. And that thing has been going on for hours. And then I call one of our good friends, Fernando, who owns a plumbing company. Um, is it Ruder Plumbing? Ruder Solutions. Shout out Ruder Solutions. Within like an hour, they had somebody out. Um, text me back immediately. It's like seven in the morning. Send someone out within the hour. They're amazing. They come check it out. They're like, well, you have no power. We can't do anything about the flooding until we get a generator and the whole neighborhood's out. So that was my yesterday. And then I get a text while we're in a meeting before this and from my ADT saying, your power's out again. So now I went back to go plug in the pump to something else to hopefully keep things, you know, I'm just surviving out here. But then I realized that there's so many people who, you know, 
are in a worse situation. So I'm just trying to stay positive. Yeah. So, but yesterday you had no no heat, no water, no heat, no electricity, no water, no electricity. And but no. you had and you had a flooding basement and yeah. And I and, did take a cold shower. <laughs> How'd that go? It was funny because I went on a run with one of my boys, Roy. Call him Rocky now. And he's like, Poppy, I got to take a shower. Can I shower? And I was like, look, I have no electricity. Here's a flashlight. And there's not going to be any hot water. So I gave him a flashlight. So he's in the shower with like the lamp in there. And he's screaming, you know. Muy frío, Poppy. Muy yeah, frío. You guys always love those cold plunges. And then you're complaining about a cold shower. Oh, my gosh. But I mean, these pipes, they're must. I mean, this water is freezing. I get into the shower and I'm like, this is brutal. So I'm very, I have much respect to the men who cold plunge, the people who don't have hot water. You know, I'm very blessed. Yeah. Well, if it makes you feel any better. Please make me feel better. I live just really down the street from you. Yeah. Like a mile away. I had electricity. I know. I had hot yeah. water. Yeah, I know. I had heat. Yep. I know. So in case you're worried about me or concerned for yeah, me, yeah. It, it was all good. Yeah. Out of out of just pure stubbornness and pride, I didn't sleep at your house. Yeah, I, I slept at my house. Your mom's like, come on over. I did. I did come over. Well, the crazy thing is my car was trapped in my garage. So I couldn't <laughs> get. You couldn't open your so garage. I could I like <laughs> that's how the day started. Was I, I well that, that was actually the ironic thing. I, I I didn't really realize that it was had flooded until, you know, or I didn't realize I had no power until I, I got to my car and was like, oh my gosh, I can't get out of my gate. So it was a whole thing. It was a day yesterday. But anyways, we're going to talk about relationships today. All right. Valentine's Day is coming up. <laughs> single Awareness Month. Um, for all of you out there, single. Um, I no, hope you stay warm. Who calls it Single Awareness Month? I don't know. David Yanez, we were in the editing room and I was like, we're going to talk about Valentine's Day. And he goes, oh, you mean Single Awareness Month? <laughs> so all my, all my single ladies, all my single men out there, stay strong. Stay strong. You got this. You got this. You saving money out there. It seemed like there was a a, a season of life where, yes. or at least there was a generation where everyone would say single for life, single for life. Single for life. Why, why would they say that? Single for life. Uh, like that was like the new mantra. Like we want to be single. We don't need to be married. Yeah. yeah. We're our own person. Single yeah. for life. Single for life. Is that, would you say that generationally that that that's still true or has that sort of worn out? If going, I could cuss right now, I'd, I'd cuss. <laughs> That's some bull <laughs> right here. That's some bull blank. Blank me out, Austin. That's some b****. And um, no, I've never wanted to be single for life. I've never wanted to. I don't know if marriage is always the most attractive thing. The older I get. Now, I'm at this, you know, I was talking about this with Mariah yesterday. I was like, I'm at the age now where you, it, there's like, you know, you meet people and, and the people you meet, they might have kids. They might be divorced. You know, I'm, I'm 35. Like there's people my age have done have gone through some life and there's no judgment like wherever you're at in your life i think the the where your journey is your journey and and i and i don't just say that like complacently i just i don't judge people where they're at in their journey right like some of my best friends have been divorced got married young divorced young and they're the best people in the world i don't want i don't think that should hinder them from finding happiness or dating being in a serious relationship but i will say single for life it ain't it <laughs> It's not it. It's not it. I was cold last night. And no heat. No natural heat. Would have been nice to have somebody, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Take cold showers together. I don't know why and I don't know how this relates, but um, um, I started watching this series 
Which series? Called Mr. And Mrs. Smith. With Donald Glover? Yeah, I really do like Donald Glover a lot. I love Donald Glover. <laughs> but there's, you know, it's uh, these two assassins, you know, have to pretend they're married. And in one moment, one line, they're asking, they're talking about marriage. And, and she's like, is that something you're into? Like being married? Yeah. Is that something you'd want? And he said, yeah. The idea of, you know, coming home after a, a really bad day and have someone that gives you, that kisses you. Like he goes, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm really, I would be really into that. And I thought, what an honest moment, right? Because I don't think that you actually get to a place in your life in a healthy way where you don't see the positive benefit of it. I think you can get to a place where you're like, you know, that's not what's right for my life. You know, there are people who just decide that they really are like single for life. And I think, I think overwhelmingly we're designed for relationships. Yeah. I think, I think we are designed um, for marriage. And, um, and I, and I know that's odd to say because I don't think it's odd. You, you know, I just, we're definitely designed for intimacy. We're designed for, for desire to, yes. yeah, to know someone and to be known by someone. And I think it's a really beautiful thing. You've been married 40 years, 40 years. That's right. To your mom. Incredible. And you know, it's, it's crazy because you still have like really beautiful days and you have days that just feel as fresh and new as when you first met and when you first began dating. It doesn't mean you don't have hard days and difficult days and challenging times. But man, when I think of the contrast of having lived the last 40 years, you know, without Kim, as opposed to the 40 years with Kim, I'm so glad that she came to my life and that we've been married 40 years. It's, you know, it's an amazing thing. It really is an amazing thing. And, and you know, I mean, as a dad, I really want that for you. Yeah. You, you know, in your life. And Mariah and Jake just celebrated eight years of marriage. Eight years, man. Which is incredible. She's She just cool. turned 32. That's crazy. And she's been married eight years. And She got married at 24? Yeah. I thought she was younger than that. No, 24. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Or maybe right at 23, right before her birthday. Yeah, yeah. Ugh. Yeah, yeah. No, it was, it was the week after her birthday or the week before or the week before yeah that yeah, yeah it's one or the other yeah and so she was you know 23 24 very young it's and you know it's amazing just to see their life and then they have juno and you know i i just think there is something inherently human about wanting to share life with someone and and then part of the challenge and i think it's part of the challenge of the world in which you live in is that you guys have just way too many options and then you have an idealized human out there all the time, like the perfect girl, the perfect guy. And you can't get married if you're looking for the perfect person. And a marriage won't survive if you think the other person has to be perfect for you. And you have to marry someone where you find meaning in working through each other's imperfections. And I think that's a huge, huge part of it. And I don't know if people have patience for that anymore. Here's an interesting thing. Uh, maybe I have a, there's a question buried in, in my statement somewhere. All right. But I, I feel that your generation has given my generation a lot of tools to develop self-awareness to whether it's the Enneagram, the Berkman, the Myers-Briggs, the MBTI, the Kiersey, all of these assessments to understand ourselves. Yet it seems that my generation has has such a little understanding of, our, of self, even though we might have an, or maybe it's an over-understanding of self, yet we, have, we lack so much self-awareness. There's something in there. Our meters are off. 
Um, but your generation didn't really have this self-discovery and this self-awareness, at least on paper, through assessments. What is wrong with us? Well, <laughs> How when, did you guys figure it out? If you go through six assessments to develop more awareness of yourself, you've kind of missed the point because what you want to do is grow in awareness of others. Right, but you put me through these assessments. so I, Yeah, yeah, no, no, yeah. I'm saying. Something you value. I do, I know. I value self-awareness, but the end game of self-awareness is emotional intelligence. So there's something missing because we're taking these tests but not becoming more aware. Yeah, no, I think there is something missing because if you're only learning about yourself and not learning how to um, engage in the world around you in a healthier way, you're not taking the application that's really essential. And, you, you know, we didn't have those assessments. In fact, we didn't really have any marriage counseling you know, we, we, we took one temperament analysis and um, Kim took it in a master's course. She had me take it because they had everyone in the course give it to their spouses when they were married. And when we took it, we both came out very, very differently. She cried uncontrollably, said we're never going to make it. <laughs> and uh, went back to the class and the professor said, I told you not to try to analyze this on your own. <laughs> and, uh, and, and a huge part of it is, especially then, she was taking a, a temperament assessment, a personality assessment, without ever really having done the hard work of processing through being an orphan, processing through being abandoned at the age of eight, left starving, processing living as a foster child from age eight to 18, you're just supposed to just move on, yeah. you know? And, and there's some sense where since no one gave you time to get better, you just figured out how to get better. And then you just figured out how to do better with all the baggage, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. and make it through life with all the baggage. And so a huge part of our early years of getting married and being married was recognizing the other person had never processed a lot of stuff. And now you have someone in your life who's committed to you. And maybe for the first time in your life, you're having to face these issues in your life. And, and I'm not really sure, you know, how to transfer it to other people. But when I married Kim, I actually did make a commitment to love her regardless. And the first years were wonderful and incredibly challenging, like not understanding her. And then she wasn't that open about her experience. She wasn't really that open about what she'd gone through. I mean, I'm, I'm learning things about her now, 40 years into the marriage, that she never shared with me before. She's just getting comfortable to share those things. And, and, and so you have to kind of like factor that in is, I, I think my generation did have a level of resilience where we just learned how to tough it out. Yeah. But that isn't always the best thing because we didn't fix a lot of the stuff. Yes. <laughs> you know, yeah. we just learned how to put it in a safe. <laughs> you know, lock it and 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 just keep it. And it it stayed with us throughout our life. So your generation, I think, in a positive way gives yourself, I think you've given each other permission to deal with your mess. And I think that's a good thing. I think it's a good thing, but I would say this because, you know, maybe 2019, I was 
going through a hard time and I really needed, I felt like I needed to do therapy. And it was the first time in my life where I had ever done therapy. And I reached out to you and was like, Hey, do you know anyone? And you know, you have a bit a bigger network in that world. And, and, and you connected me with someone who came to me with someone. And then I, I met with this lovely man for, you know, maybe six months and, and really had a great, great, uh, rela working relationship with him in therapy. But you know, so much of it was based on childhood trauma. They're like, yeah, I was raised by a woman who didn't know any way how to raise a child because no one raised her. She was put on a farm and she was like sent to work for 18 years, you know. And and so, I, you know, I, I think for me, that didn't work. I was like, OK, I, childhood trauma, I get it. There's a lot of it. We need to process it. We need to be aware of it. But, you know, years later, I ended up connecting with someone who I work with now. And I and I and she's more of like a. Uh, a coach. She has all of the degrees. She's a therapist, um, but she is very active in the engagement. And she was like, look, there's a ton of childhood trauma and we, we want to pull from it. But like, you already know what you went through. Like we can work through it. We can talk through it, but it, it doesn't help you to stay there. It helps you to move forward. And so it, she comes from far more of a basis of resilience. Like you, let's deal with the problems, but let's move on from them quickly and solve the, and, and solve them. And some things we'll go back to and some things you'll have to revisit because it might come up again. But I really, you know, for me, it's like you can't blame everything on the base. You, right? Like if I was raising a child at 25 or 30, I don't know what I, don't know what I know now. <laughs> Every five years, it completely changed. I, I adapt to a whole new set of skills. So I'm always like, I've talked to you about this. I was like, I couldn't do the last guy because he blamed everything on my childhood. And I'm not blaming <laughs> everything on my childhood, but I understand there's a lot to look there, right? How do you gain tools to be the right person in a relationship while not just blaming everything on, on, on childhood trauma? Well, I think that's really the epicenter of it is that no matter what kind of therapy you go through, no matter what approach of therapy you're in, until you take personal responsibility for your life, you will not move on. And if you can take personal responsibility for your life, you will find healing, even if it's just layer by layer by layer. And it's so unfair, right? It's so unfair. You go, wait a minute, what do you mean take personal responsibility? You don't know what I went through. You don't know my life. And I go, no, I know. Everyone trying to work through trauma actually had trauma. <laughs> you know, so yes. I'm not, I'm not. You're, you're, you're not, um, what is it? Uh, what would the word be? Like you're not um, disqualifying what people have gone through. No, my whole point is yes. <laughs> yes, you went through trauma. Uh, you went through trauma. I went through trauma. There, there hardly isn't a human being that didn't go through trauma. I, I we got it behind the camera. Austin, did you go through any trauma growing up? Yes, he's nodding. Yes, things. I don't know anyone, uh, you know, who didn't go through some kind of trauma in of life. Of course, of course. So we, we all have a baseline. We've all been through trauma because humans are imperfect. And we traumatize each other. I mean, it's a terrible thing to say. <laughs> but that's a, yeah. that's a part of what we give with the love we have. Yeah. You know, and and then on top of that, what we have to realize is there are people who go through trauma who elevate beyond it, above it. They actually develop a resilience and become extraordinary human beings, not in spite of the trauma, but through the trauma. And And so you have to decide what kind of person am I going to be now? What responsibility do I need to take on now? Because 
will the people who traumatized me or will those moments that traumatized me in the past have more power over me than the choices I make today? And I want the choices I make today to be more powerful than the experiences I went through yesterday. There's something that you've kind of maybe ingrained in me as a, as a kid and just growing up and with my faith that I always look at like the moments where, I'm gonna go to the Bible real quick, where Abraham always set these markers. He would leave these stones and he would like name them, right? And I always thought, I kind of do that with tattoos sometimes and we'll do that with gifts sometimes. And I think some people do it with watches or they'll do it with a car or they'll do it with a house or they have these monuments in their life, these moments in their life where they want to leave a marker, you know? And I, and I think, I think they're so important to have these like mental maybe checkpoints where we go, this was a day where I solved this problem or this was a day I let go of this. This is a day where I became more resilient. You know, like we were talking yesterday and you, were, you said, I think you said something, you're like, you're not as stressed as I thought you would be with your basement <laughs> flooding and you having no power and all of these things. And and I've, one thing that one, I set these goals every year. All right, not goals, but you know, there's things I want to accomplish each year imp- internally. Because you, you, you've you worked a lot with me on like, there's an internal world and an external world and, and what the foundations you build in your internal world will definitely define how you relate to people externally. So one of the things is calmness. I really want to be more calm. I want to be kinder. I want to be um, someone who's seen as calm and not just seen as calm, but is calm. It, when things are hectic, being more calm. You know, I, I, and I told you right before we jumped to this podcast, I said, yesterday I was really calm with the stress. Today I'm not so calm. <laughs> I want my hot water back. <laughs> I want my heat back. I want, you know, I want my luxuries back. And Today is the day where it takes some internal lifting, internal exercise, and and to build the resilience. But how do we, one, how do we take what we know about ourselves and run with it? Because it's so easy to look at the problems. It's so easy to like self-assess and go, well, these are are my weaknesses. So you have to accept them. You know, I've been in relationships with with people that I adore and people have said, you know, you have to accept me the way I am. And to some truth, or to that, there is some truth to that statement, right? Yeah. Can I can I give where that truth finds its boundary? Please. That's the question. Is yeah. but I think that truth has a lot of holes in it. It does, and I don't accept it. No. Here, here's the thing. No one should have to accept the toxic version of anyone. So when you're going, this is who I am. You have to accept me. You need to look in the mirror and go, am I toxic? And if you're toxic, you need to detox. <laughs> you need to come, become a better version of yourself because no relationship can survive the constant toxicity of a person who thinks being toxic is just who they are. Yes, I, I accept that and I receive it. And I, I wanna keep asking questions because here's the thing, like I've, I've had the, the exceptional gift of dating some amazing people and some relationships failed right? They've all failed, I guess, to some degree because I'm single still. Just because you're single and you didn't get married didn't mean those relationships failed. It just means those relationships were not the right one for each other. Absolutely. I agree with you wholly. I do know that I've learned an immense amount about myself and the other person through those relationships. And I'm someone who really does look, there's, I know there's a scientific name for it, but looks back with a lot of 
goodness on relationships. You know, I'm always able to see the good. And I have to call you sometimes like, remind me why I'm not in that relationship again because I miss that person. <laughs> you know, and, and, I, and, and, and I know that I could be a much better person in relationships. I can be wiser, calmer, more patient. By the way, there is a psychological dynamic to that. And it's really dangerous. When you end a toxic relationship, you actually look back and something in your brain only remembers what you miss. Yes. <laughs> not what yeah. you got away from. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, and so you have to not let that illusion it's it's an it's an illusional memory. Yeah. Or a delusional memory that makes you remember everything you missed in the relationship. Yeah. Which makes you make a bad decision to go back into that relationship. When you're dating someone, you have to not give yourself permission to bring any toxic characteristics that you've had in the past into that relationship. You have to begin to, you know, uh, move toward personal health. And here's the critical thing. There's something that is gets rooted in our psyche where when love and toxicity somehow end up in the same chemical compound, we feel like we're not being loved unless we're in a toxic relationship. There's something about that, like that push and that pull that becomes like this very almost like romantic dance of yeah. we fight and we make up and we fight, we make up and then we yell and then we're calm and then we're crying and then we're happy. And there is this roller coaster that it feels like we have. But, you know, but I've been in I've been in relationships in the past where we never fought at all, you know, and we only fought about not fighting, you know, and then I've been in situations where we fought a lot and. And it's definitely not the other person. It's obviously, it's two people. It takes two people to make that happen. Right. And so it, it obviously, I don't want to absolve any ownership in it, but how do you, how do you, get, but I've watched you and you know, you almost never fight, <laughs> right? Like you've probably fought more with me than you've, you know, I wouldn't say that because you've been married to her for 40 years. So there was probably fighting when I wasn't around, but you know, we have a more combative relationship probably than you do with mom because you know how to manage and patience and you're kind and i'm like ah, ah, ah. <laughs> you know when you're looking for someone to date what would you look for one of the first things that comes to my mind is kindness and not how how kind they are to me but how kind they are to other people like i really do pay attention to the way a person treats the waiter or waitress the way they treat the person at the checkout counter i watch how people treat other people and if they're kind, it's just the natural flow of their life. I think you're, you're, you're finding a very unique, special human being. What makes it unattractive is kind people create less volatility. And we tend to think that volatility is romance. Mm. It's and passion. It's passion. It's chemistry. Yeah. And so, you know, there's no chemistry because that person is involved. So you're realizing, you'll realize later in life, that you had way too much value for chemistry and way too little value for kindness. And the person you look back on and go, why did I marry that person? Is actually the kind person, not the toxic person. Yeah. <laughs> you, you won't look back yeah. on the toxic one going, wow, why didn't I marry her? And, um, but if, you, if you're kind to someone and even when they're toxic, even when they're not carrying their weight of the relationship, and you treat them with compassion, you treat them with kindness, you respond with gentleness, you are patient, they will look back and go, what was I thinking? Why did I break up with him? You know, And, and so I think that's one of the things I look for is, is kindness, but I also look for a love for life. I want someone who actually like has a love for life. They don't wanna just exist. They don't wanna just make it through the day. 
they they they're curious they want adventure they uh they laugh they they want to experience uh moments of happiness let's even if happiness isn't sustainable they want moments of happiness yeah and and they want to share those moments with you yeah and so if you can find kindness and a love for life i think you're you've got a good start with those just those two things right there i love that what about okay in la we deal with this a lot I think I think I'm sure it's I'm sure it's across the board across the world. But I was talking with one of my buddies who's single and he's on the other side of the he's on the other side of the country. He's on the East Coast, and he was talking about dating apps. Sure. How do you feel about dating apps? And I imagine you've never been on one. I have I don't even never think been. You've probably even seen what one looks like. I can't say I have ever seen a dating app. <laughs> right. 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 <laughs> what? How do you feel about them? I feel great about them. Okay. Because it's Expand. better. It's better than when marriages were arranged. <laughs> right. See, everybody acts like the dating apps are the worst thing that's ever happened to human relationships. I'm going no. When you sold your daughter for three cows and a goat, right. that was a worse era. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, when marriages were arranged so that families could have economic uh, advantages or political advantages. Uh, that to me was probably a worse era when you know when you're you're telling your son to go marry this family's daughter so that your families can have a coalition on territory that's not a better era so we need to realize that acting like oh dating apps are the worst things ever happened we're not dealing honestly with human history okay okay and i think the apps that try to create hookups are terrible but not the apps that are trying to connect people relationally and when they first came out and you know it, it's interesting i heard so many negative things about dating apps that's not the way you're supposed to do it and even people you know who are people of faith you know you got to trust jesus you know to bring the right people into your life and when there are eight billion people on this planet there are people on this planet who would love to meet you who are wonderfully compatible with you and and, you know, if, if you believe that God brings people together, why can't he bring you together in a dating app? <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, what, technology doesn't somehow eliminate the uniqueness of serendipity and the, and, or, or the power of, of, of faith or anything like that. Okay, so here's my other question. So I was talking to my friend and he's on the other side of the coast and we were talking about dating apps and he was like, have you met anyone? I was like, no, but you know, I meet people all the time and there's people I, I really enjoy. I haven't met that person yet. Yeah. And I think he's in the same boat. And we were laughing because I was like, you know, in LA, you really got to dodge the, 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 the astrology girls the, you know, <laughs> and he was laughing. He's like, same here. Like, you know, I, he's like, I met this amazing girl and then she ended up being a witch. And then like, not that that's connected, but he was like, then I was like nervous. Like, I don't want you to get, make me mad, like cast spells on me. And like, you know, I don't want to deal with that. <laughs> and, then, and, um, but, but, but all jokes aside, how do you feel about astrology? Because you know, wow, this is this is our our February uh, Valentine's Day episode. No, this is good. This is good. <laughs> you know, like, how do I feel about astrology? It's probably like the fifth question any woman asks in Los Angeles. Oh, when were yeah. you born? And you're like, oh my goodness. No, they go, what's your sign? Well, no, no, no. This is the subtle way. That's oh, okay. that's the that's the overt way. Okay, you know for sure she's doing some magic if she asks you what's your sign. <laughs> but the, the 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 subtle way is, oh, when's your birthday? And it's like. You know, and there's all these memes that say, uh, uh, mom, it's like, mom, what time was I born? And mom says, uh, delete her number. 
<laughs> and, and that like resonates with me in Los Angeles. And I, I'm not talking any trash about anyone, but but I would say this, like my someone I've dated in the past, she really like, she was on the app, co-star, and, and she got all the updates. And I would read it every once in a while, and it was not far off. But what's so, funny, I just went- What's your perspective okay. on it? Uh, because- So I'm not knocking it, I'm okay. just not- Because this is a continuous conversation here in LA. It is. Recently, I went on one of those sites and I read everything it said about someone born when I was born. Yes. It was almost 100% wrong. Oh, that's crazy. Because if you read what it says when I'm born, it's 100% right. I'm loyal. I'm passionate. I'm, I'm all over the place. But like, mine was like just completely, really, completely opposite. That's so interesting to me. And, uh, and so because then I'm, you know, I, I have an open mind. I go, well, maybe I'm, maybe I was born really close to the next sign. Okay. So I looked to see, but it said, no, I'm smack in it. Well, I don't really know. I actually really don't know much about the signs in general, but like, so you're, you don't resonate with your sign at all? At all. Okay, hold on. I mean, I'm not going to say August. that there won't be something in there that doesn't match, but, uh, but on this particular one, it was like hundred percent off. Okay. I believe in astronomy <laughs> and uh, I do not believe in astrology. Okay. But Here's the caveat. I do believe there are significant factors that affect who you are, how you live, and how you're related to in the world based on when you're born. Okay, talk 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 this out. Just simple things for all my numerology guys right. out there. Because because I'm born on August 28th, I started first grade at five years old and finished high school at seven. 17. 17. So 17. I was like, you were more of a genius than I thought you were. Yeah. And because other people were born in September, they didn't go to school till next year and they were 11 months or 12 months yeah. older. I mean, you went, you were in the same grade with your brother and he yeah. was a year, a year and a half, half older yeah. than me. Yeah. So what they found is kids born certain months are more likely to make like hockey teams or football teams than kids are born different months because when you're born, allows you to be more developed when you begin school. So there are just really pragmatic dynamics you can see when a person is born that actually affects them. And so I grew up always being the smallest kid in the school. I was always developing a stage behind everyone else, but I didn't know that it was because I was younger because I was in the same grade. So you, you're told you're the same but you're completely different. Do you think that's why you're so calm and patient and have this incredible mental fortitude? Because you were constantly having to push your mind beyond its like physical limitations? Well, absolutely. And also because um, people made assumptions of what I was not capable of. So I remember um, asking to learn how to read, uh, tell time, read clocks. And I was told I was too young. And they took my brother and started teaching him. So I hid in the corner and I learned how to tell time faster because they were teaching him. And so I was, I knew how to tell time when no one knew I knew how to tell time. There's a lot of things I learned simply by observation. So one of the difference was that there was more coaching that happened when you're the older brother. You have to learn through observation when you're the younger one. For me. And and so where where I was born and when I was born really did have a dramatic effect. And and ironically, there's like so many other um dynamics in that. 
because I was born August 28th, we were always in El Salvador. And then we would come to the United States. So I would not have birthday parties really as much on this in this country. Like in schools. Or you when they- a, You didn't yeah. have a school birthday. Yeah. yeah. And, and or we would have my birthday in El Salvador and the United States. And so my brother would have his birthday too at the same time. So when you're born really has a huge effect. Um, and other dynamics. Like I think you can't escape the fact that there are like- um, I, I don't want to use this word, but like cosmic realities, like, um, you know, where you're born in relationship to the, the sun, the, the sun the or moon, climate or, yeah. or, you know, what do you all, think about that? Because well, there's so much there, right? Like there's, there's, I mean, I don't know what I, I don't really read that. Like I like Googled and didn't even know which like well, source is credible. If you're so born gave up closer on. to the equator, your skin's darker. Right. When you're born close in, in Icelandic countries. Where Austin's born. You're, you're, you're much whiter, like, you know, so it, there no are clearly effects on, on human development. Yes. Where you're born, when you're born. So, you know, I don't want to say like it's, it's a zero. But it's not the main thing. No, but it's not because the stars have chosen your fate. I'm against anything that has a fatalistic undertone, which is why I'm against astrology, Organized religion, Calvinism, Islam, and I mean against not the people, but Sorry. the ideologies. Right. Because any ideology, even Buddhism, because in the end, we all move toward nothingness. Any ideology, any philosophy, any theology that's fatalistic, I, I'm against that ideology. And that's why I, I'm against scientific determinism. You know, that so many uh, atheists hold as scientists that um, choice and free will and creativity and spirituality are all illusions because the entire universe is mathematical. And so we, we think we're making choices, but actually what's happening is we're just responding to the mathematical fatalism of science. And I, any view that eliminates creativity, free will, and dynamic of actually being alive, I would fight to the death. Okay. So I have another question. That was a long-winded answer. Sorry. Whether you back astrology or no, 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 we're keeping it. I love it. I loved it. But I think um, it's what makes this podcast our podcast. So no to astrology. No to astrology. Okay. By the way, in the Bible, yes, when God has Abraham look at the stars and say to him that you'll have as many offspring as our stars in the sky, it was actually such a significant shift. Because the world around Abraham looked to the stars for their fate. And God has Abraham look at the stars for his destiny. Interesting. So I have a question here. Yeah. The Magi in the Bible. Mm -hmm. My favorites. They followed the star yes. that led him to Jesus. Mm -hmm. So there's something there. There is. There's something in the stars that brings us together. Uh-huh. How, how do we... Um, how do we deal with that? All right, so How do here we, we go. manage it? Because we're going, right. to, we're going to our more mystical side. Okay, we're going there. And you know, probably more questions, though. my favorite passage story in all the nativity around Jesus is the Magi. And because the Magi, you know, we, we hyper-spiritualize them. But that word Magi is the root word for magician or sorcerer. <laughs> or alchemist. Yeah, and, and they were alchemists, uh, most likely from Persia, and they looked to the stars 
for signs from the heavens. And so these, the, the Magi were alchemists who followed the stars and God spoke to the stars. So that's why you, you get mad at me when I have our time saying yes or no. And, and no, 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 I, yes. <laughs> and so when, and I, no. when I said no to astrology, I said no because you forced me into a yes, no, forced choice answer because I go, inside of everything that isn't true, there are things that are true. Yes. And that's why, Aaron, life is not about yes and no answers. Right, right, right. <laughs> I, I, so this, this is the thing, though, because I've had a very different relationship with astrology, right? Like, yeah. I, I grew up with the fear of everything that yeah. isn't in the Bible, right? Yeah. And then you look at the Bible, and then it's in the Bible. So that it's, <laughs> you get it, you, it's, it, it, it makes it interesting, right? Right. And the Magi is something I can't understand. Yeah, I see, and I think that— So uh, why is I, it such an important thing? I why really, were they the first ones? I really relate to the alchemists. I know you do. It, you I, know, I know you do. And I don't think it's an accident or an incident in terms of incidental that God chose to have alchemists there celebrating, worshiping Jesus. The guys who had the Bible, the law and the prophets, couldn't find Jesus. The ones following the signs of the stars could find Jesus. That should tell us something. Well, what does it tell us? At the very least... Even if you have the Bible, but you're not searching with sincerity, you will not find God. But if you don't have the Bible, and all you have is the stars, but you're sincerely searching from God, you will find him. So maybe it's not yes or no, it's what is the purpose of your journey? Yeah, that's good. And maybe that's why the star boys and star girls, the astrologists, struggle because the search is for love for them or compatibility versus for meaning and depth. Yeah, so when I'm driving all over LA and I see all these signs, Psychic healer, psychic, and there's one in my neighborhood. There's two oh, everywhere. Walking distance from our house. Yeah, it's, and I, it kind of breaks my heart because one, I know those people don't know what they're telling people they know. But I believe the people coming in there are on a desperate search. Most people who go to a psychic are living in fear of the future, and they want that psychic to tell them their future, so that they can have some control over their future. And, and yet I'm not harsh on people who believe in astrology or, you know, because I always work from a sincerity of faith. I go, anyone who's trying to find meaning or trying to hear from God, um, I think that there's a conversation that can be had that leads them to the God who created the stars. So I always go, hey, if you're looking for the stars to tell you your future, why don't you look to the one who created the stars? He has far more insight into your life. And if you go to a psychic to try to tell you your future, you're actually living in a passive relationship to the future. They can't tell you your future because your choices create your future. So why would you go to someone to limit the possibilities of your future? When you go to God, he starts opening the future to you and showing you how unlimited it is. Okay, I wanna bring something to the table. So I was sitting at a dinner in Austin when your flight was delayed. I invited some friends over and we ended up just talking and sitting. And, and, and one of my friends uh, does, I, I think they do some kind of consulting on like an executive level for people around the world. They're telling me that one of their clients got a birthday gift given to them. And it was like, a I think it costs like $4,000 an hour to go and sit with this Tibetan um, wow. like seer. And he 
literally can tell you the path that you're on. And so his, 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 his I guess his like, uh, his preface is that you can change your trajectory. So it's not fatalistic and it wasn't right. determinate. Yeah. But if you stay on this path, I can show you what will happen, like business deals and life or death or moments. And this person got gifted this hour, so he flies there, he goes and sits with this person and, and he was a young person. And then now he's gone back again and again and again to kind of to see and to hear and he's been right about everything. So what do you think about that? Because I don't know, right? I, I think there's there's something about it that's really interesting and fascinating. I think there are people who are uniquely intuitive. See, when you describe that person, I actually think that's me. Yeah. I just actually have come to a relationship with Jesus, but that was something I could do before I actually came to faith. And except I'm not that cheap. <laughs> no, 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 no. I actually do think there are people who are incredibly intuitive and they can sit with you and they can tell you more about you than you can tell about yourself. And and I actually do believe that communication happens beyond the human voice, that um, everything around us is communicating. The universe is, in a sense, communicating to us, that um, I can hear, I can hear things in a room that I don't know how I can hear. I. I describe can, that a little bit because I think I understand what you're saying, but I don't. I don't know that everyone understands what you're saying. Yeah, I can. I can walk into a room and I can feel despair. Yeah, like uh, like uh, at the the business event we were just at in Mexico. Oh, it was no, it was Nico. Oh, Nico. Oh, in Austin. Yeah, yeah. We yeah. made this cool jacket. We did collaboration, right? Yeah, yeah. Shout out Nico. You know, our make as a with the collective, and and at the end of the business event, um, there are you know a couple of speakers and me. We're all on this panel and. And at the very end, I just kept hearing. I don't know how to explain it. And I said, hey, I know you asked a question, and I'm going to get to the, that question. And I said, but I just, I, I just have a, I have a deep sense that there are some of you here who are like on the edge of despair, of even suicidal thoughts and struggling with depression. And, and then I looked at one person I did not know, and I just said, I think this is what you're searching for. And I just walked him through what I saw and what I heard. And, and then I finished answering the question. It wasn't a business question. You know, I didn't gather that through facts and data and information. Um, and from all the feedback and resonance, we know that everything I told them was exactly accurate. And you know, I've always kind of like been very quiet about this part of me. You know, I don't really make a big deal of it. I don't talk about it from the platforms or anything like that, but I've always had this. And I do think, I do think it's God given. But even before you had like an acknowledged relationship with Jesus. Yeah, because I think God gives you gifts and talents and abilities before you know him because from the moment of your birth, you know, I mean, to Jeremiah says, you know, before you were born, I knew you. Before you were, you know, while you were in your mother's womb, I called you out. And so I, I think the Sherpa has a God-given gift, most likely. Yeah, it's interesting, right? We talk a lot about frequencies because I, I was fascinated. I was like, oh, can you please tell me who this person was? And they, they were like, I, I can't because of confidentiality. And I was like, okay, if there's ever a moment, can you ask, can you go to him and ask him? Because I would love to sit down with that, the person who, 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 who did the, the pilgrimage, essentially, got sent. Because I think there's something fascinating about these people who can unlock things. And, and, and maybe it's... it's um, Maybe that's a dangerous game to play, but I don't, I don't, I feel like I live in less fear now that I've, I feel like I'm committed to what I'm, but hold on. 
What are you going to say? No, I was going to say, remember, one of the people actually came to faith at Mosaic, who was the son of one of the biggest Wall Street investors in the world. Yeah, yeah, You know, yeah. He, went to, um, he went to a Buddhist healer in, I think it was Denver, to try to find healing in his life. That Buddhist healer sent him to Paris, to a, psychic to a French psychic in Paris. Yeah. And that French psychic in Paris pulled out my book, Uprising, and said, you need to go to Los Angeles. This man has the answers you're searching for. Yeah. He flew to Los Angeles and came to faith in Jesus here. Yeah. And he's one of the reasons we're actually even in our building today. Yeah, he, he put the down payment to get us in this building. Yeah, and I think sometimes we limit how God works because we want God to work in a really in our neat, box. Yeah, yeah, safe box. Yeah. And I, I much prefer box. going on. God speaks through the wind. And, and I literally had a conversation with yesterday, someone yesterday, and I said, how'd you get here? And they said, I was living in Hawaii and I felt like the wind blew me back here. So interesting. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> okay, so back to relationships. All right. What, what are three important things that you've learned being married for 40 years? Three important things I've learned. One is um, never, never, never hold bitterness. Or if you put it in the positive side, forgive fast. Forgive as fast as you're capable of. And I know it's hard. Don't forgive when you feel like forgiving. And forgive immediately. How important is it for someone to apologize? To say I'm sorry? It's really important to me. <laughs> but yeah. it's not important um, to forgiveness. Uh, I, I disagree. I disagree. No, I, no. I, no, I, no, you can't say no. Because it's my opinion. Oh, no, I, what I'm saying, I, I know you're disagreeing. <laughs> l l hear me out. If you wait for someone to ask for forgiveness, you're going to hold bitterness all your life. Oh, no, that's not what I meant. Oh, I see. Then you misunderstood what I was saying. Mm. Well, I think you had to say it more clearly. <laughs> I'll agree with that. I'll yeah. accept that. No, no, I, I think it, I, what I mean, what, what I meant by the question is how important is it for both partners to say, I'm sorry? It doesn't, I didn't, I wasn't sidestepping forgiveness. Um, no, you were just asking me, what are the three things that are most important? I know. And then I was, had, had a caveat question. Yeah. And for me, it's really important to, to forgive fast. Yeah. To and, not and, hold bitterness. So the question still remains. So how important is it for both parties to apologize? Now, maybe not for the same thing, but, but do you find that you, that um, forgive, forgiving someone that never asked for forgiveness can only work for so long? Oh, yeah, yeah. No. Even though it says forgive. You it was say like a general thing. Like, there are people I've had to forgive that never asked for forgiveness because they didn't ever accept responsibility for what they did. Okay. So how? So and that, I just moved, have to move on. Yeah. But in a marriage relationship, uh, the healthiest relationships, both partners forgive easily and ask for forgiveness easily. Is there a difference between saying I'm sorry and asking for forgiveness? Oh, huge, huge difference. Okay. Can you walk me through that? Yeah. Nuance? I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's just like a, it's like a throwaway phrase. Yeah. I'm sorry. It's like a Frisbee that never comes back. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I'm sorry. You know, it's so easy to say, I'm sorry. Yeah. And it's, it's much harder to apologize. To apologize means you take ownership for what you did wrong. You take ownership for how it impacted the other person. And you take ownership for making it right. For me, that's the depth of an apology. And, you know, when a person says, I'm sorry, so fast that you're wondering if they even process what they did. 
And, and so there's a tricky thing like you need to you need to you know ask for forgiveness fast because that's an act of humility. But be careful with a person who asks for forgiveness so fast that it's clear they didn't even process what they did. They don't even believe they did anything wrong. So a follow-up question is, I thought this is terrible. I'm so, uh, sorry for what? And this is usually the response on a human level. I'm so sorry I hurt you. Yeah, that's interesting, right? right? But I've done that. I've, I've been that. I'm sorry that I made you feel that way. Yes, and that's the greatest way of abdicating any responsibility for what you did. Yeah, yeah, interesting. And you may feel like you didn't do anything wrong. So yeah. you are actually sorry that it hurt them. But you're not sorry for what you did. And so you ha when someone says that to you and you feel like they really did something, you know, that wronged you, one, you don't necessarily want to beat the point to death, like, if, you, you know, but yeah, it doesn't hurt to I've go. I've definitely done that too. <laughs> yeah. Right. It doesn't hurt to go, do you understand why it hurt me? Can you do that without being belittling? Because it feels sometimes like you're trying, like, like, do you understand? Yeah. You don't want to be a lawyer. See, it's not about proving that person wrong. It's, it's, um, I mean, I mean, I've had something very recently and, um, that really upset me. And, but I don't think the person ever understood. In fact, I know they never understood why it upset me hmm. because for them, it isn't a problem. Was it me? No, oh, it wasn't you. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but, and, but once I realized they'll never understand why this bothers me because it, it isn't something that's of value to them. I just, I actually, at that point I let it go because I go, it's not my job to make my values their values. You know, if, for instance, like some people just don't have a value for being on time. Yeah. They I just, ha and I have no value for them. They don't care. Yeah. And, and so when you go, it really bothers me that you're late. They'll go, I'm so sorry, but they're not because it isn't their value system. And so you have to realize, oh, sometimes it's a value system clash. You just don't have the same value systems. And they'll apologize because it bothers you. They'll apologize because it hurt you. And they may feel bad when they lose their job. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. they don't actually believe it's a value they need to take on in their life. And well, let me just really quickly go. The three things I think in marriage, one is you you have to ask for forgiveness quickly. You have to give forgiveness quickly. And and I mean sincerely, like from from a really like a core place. And um, not flippantly. I think the second thing is you have to care about things they care about. If you don't care about anything they care about, your relationship's going to have a hard time sustaining. So you have to find some things they care about that you care about. And, and you don't have to care about everything they care about. But you have to find some things you care about that they care about. Because then that, that's how they feel you care that makes sense? Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, you dated someone and I felt like you care about everything in their life, but they didn't seem to care about almost anything in your life. Yeah, they, they, they didn't. And and I think, but they were, they became aware of that. Yeah. You know, I mean, they're a huge reason why I'm in therapy, not because of what they did, but because of their, um, they, they decided they needed to deal with some stuff. And then through those conversations brought great questions to our relationship where it was like, hey, when's the last time you checked in on yourself? You know, and that was a really good prompt for, without that little push or that like, you know, hey, are you, are you really investing? You're investing so much time in me. Are you investing time in you? And, I, and that helped. And, and I think at the end it was, I need to support you more. But, but I don't knock, I, don't, I would never like um, downgrade that person for, 
it's hard for me, right? Because I think I've realized that that how do you be in a relationship where you really value each other's like Will Gudara's mm-hmm. thing? Like this is important to me. Yeah. How, how do you get to that place with someone? Right. And here's a difficult thing: just because a person doesn't care about anything you care about, doesn't make them a bad person. It just makes yeah, them not think- your person. Yeah, but I so, would say I didn't care about all the things they cared about, but I, I made an effort to. Right. You don't have to care about everything, but you right. have to care about some things. Right. And you have to make an effort to care about things they care about. And so it's if you're trying to force that person to care, it doesn't work. They actually just have to care. And that's a part of what, I think that's one of the tangible proofs of love is that you actually care about some things they care about. But you, one thing that makes me afraid with, with I'm fearful about marriage because, you know, I've shared this with you, like on trips, I'm like, I, I, I feel absolute freedom on trips because I have no one to answer to and no one to report back to. I can stay out as late as I want. I can don't have to text anyone back. I can do whatever I need to do to get whatever we're doing done. You know, I, you can't. <laughs> you got to be back at the room and make sure you FaceTime mom and check in and see how she's doing. And you, know, you got to pick up the phone. She just called me. I didn't have to answer. You know, she's probably calling me because she called you. You know, so it's, there is, um, and, and it's not, it's not, it's not that I enjoy the lack of accountability, but I do enjoy like the freedom that, that being not married gives me, right? Here, here's the thing. It's not about accountability. It is actually about caring. Okay. When, when you love someone, you do care about them and so you care about some of the things they care about okay so it's what happens naturally it's it's a in a sense to me it's a proof of love yeah yeah proof of love is it's not it's not an obligation or requirement of love interest and support yeah yeah it's just being interested in the other person it's just like when you have kids you love your kids you may not love soccer yeah but you you love your kid playing soccer yeah (laughs) you know you 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 may not love ballet but you love that you you know your kids in ballet right you know and so it's amazing when you're a parent you love your kid you start caring about things you didn't know you could even care about (laughs) right okay and i think that's a natural kind of extension of that and um and i I, but and i think a third thing that is important in, in a marriage that lasts for a long time is you have to give each other room to breathe and you have to give the other person room to grow and to be themselves and and to be an individual where you're not just this like codependent yeah you don't want a codependent relationship and identity right you want both people growing and being healthy and you know and having a sustainable life and identity um, in their in, in and of themselves how important is it for a partner so I'm from my perspective for a man to help their partner have their own identity whether it's in career or life outside of them or is it something that we have to let that other person carve out for themselves you know i i do find that you know i have so many friends who's have who were raised by amazing mothers and then at, once they were out of the house in college they really had a struggle because they were like who's my what's my identity outside of raising these kids right and i think raising kids is one of the hardest jobs in the world i think moms get don't get don't get enough um um love and respect for that but there is a shift in career once once your kids are raised right so how do you help how do you help someone find their identity in a relationship or is that even not even your business or yeah i don't think you can actually help someone else find their identity but you can be a great feedback um, mechanism for someone as they're trying to understand their identity. So when a person is asking you for input, um, just sharing with them where you see them at their best, 
where you see them most fulfilled, where you see them happiest, where you um, see them finding wholeness and helping that person. In a sense, you're not telling that person what their identity is. You're identifying where they seem to find their identity most. And I, and I think that's actually a beautiful thing we can all do with each other in life. And you know, sometimes, you know, we're just, we're caught up in this fast pace, like rat race of life of expectations and obligations. And sometimes it's nice when someone comes and says, when I watch you do this, you just seem to be fully alive, you know? And, and ironically, I'd say both your sister and your mom, when every time I would go back and step back into the fashion world, they would both come back to me and go, we actually never see you happier than when you're like designing clothes and working on it. And, and, I, and I do a lot of things that really give me a lot of meaning. Yeah, it, yeah, we it, live a very purposeful life. But I thought it was interesting that both of them had come to me and, going, and said to me, you're just a different person when you're doing that. And, and we like you better <laughs> when you're that person. But I think you like yourself better. Yeah, I was thinking about this last week because we're, we have clothes that we're about to put out and, and do more. And then our team back in New York made it this amazing bag that we had to kind of put into to, to production last year, end of last year. And it was, there was like nothing more reward. We do so much good, I think. And, and we've built this amazing company of, you know, the mastermind and the one-on-one coaching and this this high-performance consulting business. And then obviously like Mosaic and this podcast. And like we have these amazing arenas that, that yeah, and the arena is another amazing arena that we get to be a part of. Um, but making stuff is something really beautiful. And I missed it. I was like, ah, I miss going to New York. I go to New York. And then Arturo happened to DM me. and was like, what are you doing, Bobby? Come out to New York. I miss you. Um, Okay, so I think we've been talking for a little over an hour, so we could wrap this I, up. I think we've really wrapped up our Valentine today and yes. a conversation. To be in love, <laughs> to be young and in love. And, uh, thank uh, you so much for sitting down and having this conversation. I, I just I really remember, appreciate it. you don't have to be married to be fully loved. You, you know, if you're single and you're listening, um, I just want you to know you are fully loved and fully worthy of love. And um, there's just something really special also about having like great friends in your life people that really matter to you, people who do life with you. And, you know, and so I just want to encourage everyone um, to look at love holistically. Romantic love is one slice of the whole experience of love that we humans need. And so even while you're searching for romantic love, don't miss out on the love of friendship and community and, you know, people who go to war with you and fight with you in the great battles and, the people who enjoy life with you. There's just so many different dimensions of love that I hope everyone um, takes time to experience. Yeah, we were, we were, I'm going to give one more story. We were running yesterday, my friend and I, and we were, we were running in the rain. And, and I, when I woke up and found out my power was out and that my basement flooded and I couldn't get my car out, it was three strikes. It was three bad things, right? I was like, there is no way to shower. There is no way to, to do anything proper um, in the, the comfort of my life. But we kept, he was like, Poppy, I'm, I'm coming to your house. I'm going to pick you up. We're going to go. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And then we drive to the spot that we run at and we're getting poured on. Like we're, we are wet. We're wet dogs. Like, and we just kept looking over each other, like laughing, being like, we're getting better. Like today, today we get better. Today we get better. Today we get stronger. Today we move faster, you know? And, and he goes, and he said something to me and he was like, when we run, when it's sunny next week, we're going to look back and go, this made us stronger. And I think there's something about, you know, whether it's friendships, whether it's relationships, whether it's being married for 40 years, there's something about the days where it's harder 
that make the the good days so much sweeter and so much better. You know, and I think there's something to talk about, I think maybe in our next episode about uh, resilience and how to get through the hard times. Like, how did you get through the hard times? And and I would love to dive into your life and maybe ask you some more questions. All right. But for now. For now. Um, signing off. We're out of here. Thank you guys so much for checking out this podcast. Uh, you can rate and review the podcast on Spotify, Apple Music. You can also subscribe to uh, your YouTube channel uh, or mcmanus.com slash youtube you can find all the episodes there they're in black and white some are in color uh you can leave a comment we'll get back to you you can also you know i think it's thumbs up the episode uh guys we just want to say thank you for listening each and every week we appreciate you so much we're so grateful as we are getting ready to do a new thing we have the arena conference in october october 10th 11th and 12th and we'll add the link for you to register in this the bio of this episode we are doing a new thing called the arena summit and the summit is a 12-part series that are independent. We have special guests who sit on line with my dad, with me, and we ask questions, we bring content, and it's a space where you can join the arena community at a much lower cost. The price is $150 for sessions. You can go to earlmcmanus.com slash summit, and you can join the summit series. The last, the first one that we did this year was with Edward O. Kim, the CEO of Kersey. This next one, it's coming out on September. Uh, February 28th. It's a Wednesday at 5 p.m. We are doing a live session with Todd Herman, the author of An Alter Ego, The Alter Ego, and you will be joining him as well. So the idea is that uh, we bring in a communicator. They talk for 30 minutes to an hour. We bring in your wisdom and your brain uh, and you talk for half an hour and then we do a Q&A for half an hour uh, with the community who's accessing it online. So we can't wait to see you. Register now or on mcmanus.com slash summit and we will see you guys next week. <laughs>